Hello and welcome back to The Wellspring Way. If you work in education or just have an interest in what goes on in our schools, then this is the place to be. It's our opportunity to chat to professionals and experts in all things school related. Now my guest today is a real authority when it comes to reading. She started out teaching English in a secondary school back in 2003 and progressed into leadership and mentoring. She got involved in raising literacy standards in Leicester and then moved into educational consultancy. In 2019, she stepped away from mainstream to work in alternative provision. She now leads on curriculum, teaching and learning at Springwell Lincolnshire and jointly heads up Wellsprings Reading Network. I'm really pleased to be chatting today to Executive Vice Principal Mia Sneed. Mia, welcome. Good morning. It's lovely to be here. Now, as I mentioned in my intro, reading's your thing, isn't it? That's kind of your love area of expertise. Um, but it's not always easy to foster um, that enthusiasm and love of reading um, in children, is it? Particularly, I'm thinking about kids that might come from homes where reading's not been a big part of their of their life. How can you do that? How can you foster that love? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what most schools set out, that they want to foster a love of reading. And they're very proud of the reading environments that they create in their schools. But I think one of the things that's um, misunderstood is how complex reading actually is. Um, There are so many factors that create the right environment to read. Um, And that starts before a child even gets to school. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the amount of language, the words that they're hearing um, has a big difference on when that child starts school. So already some some children are disadvantaged. So we can refer to the talk a lot families. So imagine the families that sat around together and they are um, having conversations over dinner, for example. And there's a lot of language that's being used compared to a family where but they're quite silent. Um, everybody's kind of missing each other, if you like, uh, and they're not really hearing that vocabulary. So that that makes a big difference. So from that vocabulary, which is really important, and language comprehension, so listening and being able to understand, they're the foundations that then allow you to build reading. Um, but I think what's slightly misunderstood in schools is this uh, ability to read for pleasure and there's a lot of children out there that don't read for pleasure and I think um, how we're teaching reading really needs to be unpicked and really understood so we're really clear now about how to teach reading um, how to decode the words and be able to say the words and then be able to read fluently compared to really understanding what the text um, actually means. So one of the things that I, I start with on any training that I do is I take the person back to how they learned to read. Um, so I can ask you that, Elizabeth. How did you learn to read? Oh, my goodness. It's a very, very long time ago. Um it's interesting. I mean, I can remember you broke it down in sounds and things like that. I'm sure I did. And my little girl, she's five, so she's doing. She's going through the whole phonics thing right now, and and breaking down the sounds and and learning all about that. So that's that's how I think I did it. I think if I can remember. Yeah, and and lots of people can't really remember how they learn to read. And yet, if we ask young children today how they learn to read, it's it's to do with the phonics. Um, most will say it's uh, the Ruth Miskins. Uh, 
I know that there's Jolly Phonics, there's Reading um, Rockets as well. So there's a number of packages that allow the child to actually read. But when we think of reading, what we're then doing is thinking about just the decoding part. So then you give a child a text or you read a text to a pupil and they fail to understand. And that shift really happens around the age of seven. So the curriculum demands then that you're looking for something different. You're you're not just assessing their ability to read um, or, or decode effectively. You're actually testing their understanding. And all of a sudden, they're not understanding. So we then need to unpick that and think really systematically, well, how are we going to teach reading comprehension? And what that means is that we have to um, decide what is what does reading comprehension look like? What are the individual components? Can we recognise that in a child before we even start thinking about reading for pleasure? Um, if we, I reading, guess, if you if you can't understand it, there is no, there's never going to be any pleasure in it, is there? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where we're giving books to to children. And they're not finding it enjoyable. And we see that shift coming into secondary schools as well. So typically from from a lot of the research that's out there, children on the whole are enjoying reading at primary school. They then get into secondary school. And there's a number of other factors that, that go on with secondary age pupils. But all of a sudden, they're not finding it particularly interesting. Um, so a uh, uh, recent statistics that one in two children um, and young people do not enjoy reading. Um, most don't engage in reading on a, a daily basis either. They, they wouldn't go away and, and choose to read a book. And that's a lot to do with the society that we're living in. It's a very fast paced society now. Yeah. We can get information and enjoyment from lots of other things. Um, but the impact of not being able to read effectively really affects life chances um, in people and their confidence but it's the doorway to everything else isn't it if you can get reading right then all those other subjects are opened up in a much richer more comprehensive way I suppose and yeah I mean I I know from my own experience I've got a teenage boy and to try and get a teenage boy to read for pleasure well you may as well bang your head against the wall sometimes because you know there's there's tech and there's you know gaming and YouTube and all this stuff um what what can teachers do to support parents in in encouraging reading? I, I think one of the, the shifts that, that needs to really happen is um, teachers and, and those working with young people really understanding about the complexities of reading and breaking it down into um, into the individual components. Once that's really understood, then we can tackle um, addressing any gaps. So, for example, reading comprehension, the bedrock of that is inference. And inference means that you're able to read a text and you're able to identify uh, the meaning of the text without it necessarily spelling everything out um, for you. So if we're stuck with the inference, we need to then go back and unpick, well, what does that actually mean? So it means applying your background knowledge. So almost your cultural capital, what kind of life experience can you bring to this text? It means looking at vocabulary. It means looking at um, adjacent sentences and and putting two and two together and seeing what you then come up with. I guess it's a bit like thinking like a detective. 
once that teacher is able to diagnose what the comprehension barriers might be for that young child, then we can start working with parents to talk to them about, okay, these are the skills you need to be able to comprehend and finding the right reading material for young people as well. So a variety of texts um, that then the child can pick and choose. I I walked up to um, a Key Stage 4 lesson this morning and they've wrapped up a number of their their reading books. So the front cover is completely um, covered up and there's key words written on it. Um, So things like mystery, uh, gripping, and it's really exciting because then the, the child's got to um, unwrap that book based upon the key words and a recommendation. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is like don't judge a book by its cover. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. Um, but it is, it's about making reading exciting and finding different ways in um, for a child who is in year 10, year 11, who is really struggling with their reading what do they do? They're they're picking up these huge novels that would be kind of um, age related, but they can't actually access them. Um, And there is a fantastic company, um, Barrington Stokes, who have uh, produced some books that are um, age appropriate, but at a right level for the reading ability of the child. So again, that's about the schools really understanding how we can go about um matching the right text to the right pupil yeah I guess because if you're if you've got you know you're delayed in your reading ability the kind of books you might be being presented with are targeted at a much younger audience aren't they and of course then you they're not going to seem like they're for you at all absolutely yeah and that, that then becomes a barrier um, because they don't want to look any different to their their peers um and lots of pupils that I've come across in my experience will often um, who have a barrier in their reading will disguise and and opt out of reading anything um, through perhaps behavior because they are incredibly embarrassed by the fact that they are unable to read. Some don't actually realize that it's a, a reading ability so if they're struggling in maths, if they're struggling in geography what generally happens is it's to do with the literacy, um, kind of the age at which it's it's being posed at, which then creates a barrier for that for that young person to be able to access. So we really need to look at kind of the reading age of that pupil, their reading ability, and then being able to do something about it. So break down the vocabulary, um, make sure that there's a connection with their background knowledge. Yeah, my, I don't know how you feel about this because my my mum taught. She's retired now, but she taught in um, quite a deprived area. And one of the things she always said about reading was, she says, "Don't care what it is that they read, as long as they're reading something. If they want to, if they're into cars, they can bring in the Hayes Manual, and we'll read that as long as it's something." Um, what, what are your thoughts on that approach? Yeah, I, I do actually agree that that there is a number of reading material out there. But I think that has to be carefully managed. If that's all that they were getting, um, that's not necessarily going to help them improve upon their reading. Now, one of the things that we've done uh, across our Springwell schools in Lincolnshire is we have reading every day. Um, so we have two learn to read sessions a week. We have two reading for pleasures um, 
sessions and then we have a reading topic so that's kind of related within our curriculum so during the reading for pleasure sessions that's where we encourage um, children young people to read texts that are really interesting to them and we have invested in accelerated reader um, and along with that we've invested in myon which is like an online library of books mainly non-fiction um, we also have the magazines we have the newspapers so we do allow um, children to pick and choose what they want to to read and find interesting but there has to be a, a guess um a mix really so that we know that children young people are making progress in their reading you're heading up the reading network which is our wellsprings way of sharing knowledge um and expertise across the trust in different schools so that's a wide variety of schools that you're you've got representatives on that network from what are some of the i guess universal challenges that people are coming to that group with when it comes to reading Yes, I'm really fortunate because I I head this up with Adele Thackeray, um, who um, is is based in primary, has a really clear understanding around phonics and that early learn to read. So that's been fantastic to work with her to really understand and unpick what that reading journey looks like. I think some of the, the universal um, or the commonalities that we're finding, and bearing in mind this is primary, secondary, special, alternative provision, is around what makes a difference to children engaging with reading. I think most schools have a, a, a clear focus on improving reading um, for children, but we're all at slightly different um experiences of of that journey within each school so bringing in this collective voice really um, and looking at the research and what everybody's tried so one of the early networks we explored uh, reading environments and everyone talked about how did they come up with their reading environment and some had used research that talked about stripping the reading environment away because it's too much of a distraction others have gone full-on reading immersive um settings and it was really interesting to understand that the context of that school is so important to raise the aspirations of children with their reading abilities and looking at the engagement so that was fascinating then we recorded that and that went on to Josie TV um but we've unpicked things to do with reading fluency with reading comprehension um but what it's allowing us to do is to bounce off each other, share ideas. There's not one person that's got the answers for everything. And although myself and Adele um, head up the reading network, it's very much the reading leads across the trust that are, are coming with the ideas, are really steering this group. Um, so we are able to work together as a team to collectively address how are we going to improve reading across the schools. Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, fabulous idea. And there's so many good initiatives across Wellspring Schools. I mean, you walk around Wellspring Schools and you see all sorts from vending machines that have got books in that the kids can kind of get so many points and, and choose a book and little yeah. packs with um, hot chocolates and all sorts to take home as a kind of treat and to encourage. There's so much creativity around reading. It's fabulous to see. Is there anything in particular that stands out for you that you've come across as that's, wow, that's a, that's a really quirky effective idea 
I think um, one of the things that we, we're trying to do as a network is to put things out as with a Wellspring um, spin on it. So recently we've just done the Wellspring uh, book spine, um, which was where every single school nominated a book, that the one book, it didn't have to necessarily be an educational book, but it's just the one book that that school was recommending. Um, and so now we have this collection of books that we've recommended that goes into each of the libraries. I also think some of the um, the reading zones, the, the colour and the vibrancies, um, which you can see across all of um, Wellspring schools, is really rich so it's getting that environment right it's getting children excited about the books um yeah the, there's so much good practice out there the um the reading spine thing's really interesting so i mean you've taught english and you know you're embedded in that world what are the books that you know yeah this this is going to be brilliant. The kids are going to love this one. Teaching this is going to be fantastic. So I'm thinking about when I was at school. Oh God, it was the same books that came up again and again and again that we were that we were fed. Um, what works best? I think um, having having taught English for for a number of years. Um, I used to get really excited about every text that I was teaching. And I remember there was there was one year where we were we were toying between the idea of teaching Charlotte Bronte, um, Lord of the, the Rings, um, sorry, Lord of the Flies, actually. Um, and but starting right at the beginning. And I think for teachers to get really excited about the text, you actually have to take some time before you actually go into the classroom and teach it. If you're just opening the book and trying to read it, that's not going to work with the pupils. You really have to invest the time and get excited about the text yourself. The Lord of the Flies ones was um, a real eye-opener for me because it really engaged the boys in particular. They really wanted to find out what was happening next. And I remember at the end of the, the English lessons, they're saying, oh, no, we don't want to go to break yet. So can we just carry on? And it was just, it was really magical for like them to binge, binge watching, binge watching Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So where you where you get that, that's, that's really magical. Um, I think we've got something similar happening at the moment around, we're, we're studying Curious Incidents of the Dog, um in our schools at the moment and that's going down really well um uh, which is about uh, a young boy with um on the autistic spectrum mm. and he's trying to investigate um this murder uh, and that is really fantastic to open up discussions and debates around um send um and, and other issues that are just coming from it so where you choose the 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 right text um, and the way that you package it and you teach it to young people that's where it gets really exciting yeah um oh gosh I, I don't even know how you begin to start picking as a teacher kind of what which books to you there's, there's just yeah where do you even start with with the stuff that can engage and, and inspire um looking at early career teachers they're just starting out everything's quite overwhelming they've been training but they're now in a classroom um what's your advice to them when it comes to reading I think spending some time um really understanding what a good reader looks like and then kind of going backwards now that that does mean having specific training for it um so we support our um, early careers teachers with a learn to read framework um, and that really 
very much goes through background knowledge, being able to predict, um, using vocabulary, but also recognising in that child when they fail to understand. So once you've got it in your head about what a good reader does, you can then really start to diagnose some of the issues that are occurring in the classroom. And that's not just from an English perspective. That would be from a a math perspective. So, for example, you've got a a particularly um, wordy maths question. Actually, does the pupil understand what the vocabulary means? Can they visualise what that question is asking them to do? Um, And if they can't do that, well, then let's make that um, pictorial. Let's draw that out for them. So really understanding how learning to read both impacts the pupil, but what we can do about it. So having the the clear kind of mechanisms in place to intervene early, but with that maximum impact um, and making sure that reading is is a daily part of what you're doing in the classroom. Like we said before, it's just the building blocks for everything else, isn't it? So it's it's critical that we get that bit right. Um, now it's time to move on to finding out a little bit about your own school days. Okay. So quick fire round. Um, English lit or English language? Oh, lit. <laughs> English literature without a doubt. And for many years, actually, I was an examiner for, for English literature. Um, as well so um uh, yeah literature all the way uh, I was I was different I did English language A level I was it was all about the um the structure of it and stuff not quite sure why it'd be much more fun to do English lit wouldn't it <laughs> um, um school dinners or packed lunches packed lunches geography or history oh so for GCSE I did geography now I'm a bit older I really like the history aspect and actually it sits so well with literature. I don't know why I didn't think about doing it um, when I was younger. But yeah, history now, but back then it was geography. Do you know, I think almost every guest that comes on gets one of these questions and they say something similar like, back then it would have been that, but now it would be this. (laughs) Um, Exams or coursework? Oh, I mean, it depends on on the, the child, I think. Um, for me, it would have to be coursework. Uh, I don't mind exams, uh, but I do like being able to take my time reading through everything, like being thorough with it. Whereas mm-hmm. with an exam, it's just a kind of one shot, really. It is, yeah, it's all in, isn't it? Um, you need a bit of luck on the day as well. Um, indoor or outdoor play? Outdoor. Yeah. Uh, Christmas fair or sports day? Oh, sports day. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a favourite event? Yeah. We were at Egg and Spoon Girl or? Actually, I used to do the 1500 metres. Oh, did you? Wow. Long <laughs> I can do it now. I can do it now. And it's interesting because both my um, children, I've got two girls and they absolutely love running as well. So it's obviously something there in the genes. I mean, I, I don't do it very often now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was always athletics. Um, and my final question that I ask everybody, um, if I gave you a magic wand and you could do absolutely anything to improve the education system in this country, what would you do? Um, oh, that's really tricky, isn't it? Um, I think for me, it would have to be about putting relationships at the heart of everything that we do in schools. Um, I think that schools have a number of um barriers that stand in their way that means that 
often it can become exam factories and we're just seeing the results um, of, of pupils not necessarily really getting to know the pupils it was interesting I was in some um, kind of data training um, yesterday I've got a little bit more of it today and we're not really talking about the individual pupil we're seeing them as a number as a grade and this is their target and this is where they need to be and I think that's one of the reasons why I've stepped away from mainstream um, and I'm working in alternative provision because actually in order to be able to get the best out of the child and the young person you have to get to know them there has to be that relationship um I I was a trustee for um a charity called human scale education and they do some really fantastic things which is about building relationships in schools so where you have the larger schools building individual communities within that so that the young person has um good relationships with adults and other children because it's not so overwhelming it's not I mean some of the schools that I've taught in are about 1800 pupils um, they're very large places. So definitely put in relationships at the heart of what we do, which would then help them um, in all aspects of their, their educational lives. Well, that's definitely something that we, we try to do at Wellspring, isn't it? Absolutely. So roll it out a little bit further. Absolutely. Um, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. Um, it's really interesting. I'm sure people get a lot of value from that. Um, next time, I'll be talking to Katie Pierce, head of the Forest Academy, about the journey from 32nd worst performing primary in the country to the outstanding school it is today. Hope you can join us then.